Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up for the season finale episode of Season 10, In Theory. In this episode, I gave my final working theory on the the case of the murder of Catalina Palomino. I've got Zach and Mike in the studio with me. we got a bunch of questions from you guys, so we're going to go ahead and get right into it. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, first things first. Zach, what would you think of the episode? I really liked your wrap-up. I thought the theory was good. You included some things that we haven't really discussed this season. Mm-hmm. Including the idea that something happened when Jennifer came around the corner. Right. You know, we, we've never really discussed that in the statements that it always kind of derails right there. Mm-hmm. I think that was a big catch on your part. That you know that that came to me, and I, I'm I'm feeling really still feeling really strongly about that. But that came to me in my final. Uh, poor Mike uh, ended up and Shane ended up with a late night Friday. Because I was like, I kept telling him, like, I'm sorry, dude, I'm trying to get this right. And I was just struggling and struggling and just, just really dig, digging through all the documents. And that was, yeah, that, that occurred to me. I don't know how it had never occurred to me before, but it had never occurred to me before. But yeah, every version, she walks around the corner and something happens always right there at that point. So yeah, I think that was a really interesting find. Yeah, I appreciate that. What did you think about the, the theory in general? I think it all adds up. I mean, there's a few, like I said, there's a few things that we, you didn't really discuss or you did discuss, but we haven't discussed this season. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things we talked about was how Jennifer's fingerprint got on the door. Right. And you addressed it by her jumping the fence to check, but then leaving quickly. Right. Or before we kind of thought maybe she followed Truesdale in, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there was a few things. I don't, I, it's very plausible. I mean, I know there's a lot of scenarios that could happen, but it's a very plausible scenario. And, and honestly, it kind of fits everything in my head. Yeah, and it and it kind of goes back to the you know as I try to remind people the the example the weird example I gave about Mike leaving a door open where you know in, in my opinion based on the evidence that theory can't be disputed by evidence but again that doesn't mean it's not true and and I meant what I said where part the reason it was taking me so long to get it done was because I kept thinking it's like wow but actually this could have happened you know it could have been KD and youngster were at the door you know that the you know they got woken up to. Eva's accomplice coming to the door 
Mm-hmm. And that's when it all happened. And they, and then KD did see Jennifer through the window come, come around the corner or there, you know, there were all these, there's just all these different scenarios. That, so finally I just, I was like, I'm going to give my best, my, my best detailed scenario I can give. And then, and then kind of broad, you know, zoom out a little bit and say, you know, but here are the basics that do seem to line up no matter what happened in between them. And sadly, in your theory, you know, Jennifer's culpability comes up and I, and I, I think you're spot on about that as well. You know, I mean, I don't, I guess I don't want to say sadly, cause we're out for the truth. We want to find mm-hmm. the truth, it, but I think, you know, both sides of the fence kind of fighting. And I think you're, you're pretty spot on about her culpability on that. She knows something. I, I really, I really believe that. And, and, and it's like I said, I, and I know that that upsets some people, but I just don't see as, as I'm working through it. I just don't see a scenario. And again, we have a huge missing piece here and that we haven't been able to talk to Jennifer, but you know, looking at it, it's, it's like, I just can't see a scenario with what we know where she doesn't have an idea what's going on. You can't, you know, there are people that say, well, she really might've really been telling the truth when she said that Eva told her she was going to rough her up and she saw Eva jumping the fence. And I'm like, right. But if that's true, then that also means she knows. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like there's no version of this where she doesn't know what's going on. That being said that, you know, it's very different in the fact that she knew after the fact who did it and and made an attempt to tell the police and they refused to accept it and moved on. That's very different than being a lookout. Yeah. You know, that still doesn't mean she's guilty of what they said she's guilty of. And truthfully, I don't think she would even be legally held culpable in that scenario if the police were to have believed her. And the fact that, you know, so say, say that 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 was presented now, this is what this is what happened. And, and the prosecution might say, well, she lied to police then and obstructed the investigation. Well, I mean, first of all, that's not a 25 year prison sentence. And second of all, you know, it, it's documented like she didn't. She told the police this. She told them this repeatedly and they refused to accept it. But there is definitely, but I, but I, I truly believe that that's a big thing that has been tripping her up over this time. Is sadly, she's just kind of fallen into that trap that so many fall into, where I've locked into the story, and if I change it now, then I'm going to be in trouble. When, when the truth, you know, you know, as I say, the truth, the truth can set you free. I, I have to agree, and your your plead to the family at the end was really heartfelt, and and I hope it comes through. I do too. All right, guys, our first question comes from Nancy. Were the DNA profiles that were pulled back then be in a database now? So if any of the people involved happened to commit another crime, would it show as a match? Or was that system not in place that early? The bigger issue is the fact that they didn't have uh, good enough profiles to put into a database back then. So that could, And that could be rectified by retesting now. Uh, we have better methods now that can, that can pull a lot more data out of a, out of a DNA sample than we had back in 1996. But the, the CODIS system for the FBI requires a certain number of loci or alleles uh, in a profile in order to be able to be put into the system. And there weren't enough. All they told us was unid- they, were, they were unidentified. They could rule Jennifer out. They could rule Catalina out. And then they said they didn't know. If the, the thing that was still throws me is that the analyst said they didn't have enough information to tell if it was male or female, the two profiles they found. But they know they're not Jen or Catalina, so I I don't quite know how that works. Well, there out. must have been enough markers there to exclude them. Yeah, somehow. Yeah, and they were able to, but they definitely didn't. If they didn't know if it was male or female, they definitely didn't have enough markers to put it into the the FBI database. 
Lindsay says, I was quite surprised to hear that you thought Jen knew that something was fishy even before Eva told her to lie about the voice coming from Catalina's apartment. But I have to admit, it makes sense and seems like one of those missing puzzle pieces to explain some of her behavior in interviews. I'm still grappling with how roughing someone up turned into the perps immediately trying to slit Catalina's throat. What happened to escalate the initial plan? Or was the plan always to straight up murder her and simply over complaints? Regarding the first part, the is with Jen knowing ahead of time, that's that you know, I, I said I have to work with the data we have available to us, and that is based on Jen's own statement. When she said she's telling the truth, she said that uh Eva had told her the night before that she was gonna rough rough up the neighbor, and then she said she saw Frank and Eva jump the fence. So that's where that comes from. You know, whether Jen was lying there, we don't know, but that's that's all the data I have to work with. And so that's why I presume that she knew ahead of time that something was going to happen. And maybe not, you know, think about that, being around friends uh, who might be angry with someone or about something that might be like, oh, I'm going to kick their ass or I'm going to kill them. You know, it could have been something like that where she didn't really believe it was going to happen. Uh, but based on her own statements that I think, yeah, she had some she had some knowledge ahead of time. And then as far as the escalation and and and, and why roughing her up turned into killing her. Truthfully, I don't I don't believe that Eva, in my opinion, I don't believe that Eva was the driving force behind this. I think she was directly involved. I think she was there. But I think that whoever Frank was, and I use air quotes, quotes with Frank because I don't know if that's the actual name of the person. But I think whoever her accomplice was, was the one driving this, was the one that decided that there needed to be an attack, that decided that nothing need, something needed to be done. I don't think that Eva necessarily wanted to to attack Catalina at all or kill her but but so I, I feel like whoever whoever Frank is is somebody that has some kind of a controlling relationship with her just in my opinion the way the way things look to me Carla wants to know what's the utility in Mike lying about opening the door I don't know Mike why did you lie about that you know this was your hypothesis Bob I think you can take the lead here <laughs> Uh, there isn't one that, and that's why I said in the, and, and that's why I use that example is because, and I know this was, they were joking, I'm sure, but it's a good point that what I said was that, you know, the solution could be that Mike was lying or it could be in the scenario I gave you and what I thought actually happened, could have actually happened with the dog is that Mike wasn't lying, that he just literally didn't know what happened. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's a goofy example. I know it was a joke of a question. But but it's it's if we if we turn that question into looking at the actual case, sometimes there's just unforeseen factors that we just don't know about. In in our example, it was the fact that while Mike was in the bathroom, the dog came out here and opened the door. And it's just there's 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 always anomalies that we're unaware of. There are potential for that, which is why I, I repeatedly told you, do not take my theory as the gospel truth. Or as fact, because it is simply a hypothesis based on the known factors that we have. Kim says, can we speak to why you think the complaint against Eva was enough for a motive? I see a few comments on the fan page about how it doesn't make sense since she moved out right away. I personally think it makes sense in one of two ways. Either there was an issue of betrayal or wanting revenge if they were friendly previously, or it was supposed to be an attack to scare her and escalated to murder, which is what scared Eva into moving ASAP. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I really, as I said, I, I, I definitely, in my opinion, believe that Eva 
was directly involved in this, but I, it's what you're pointing out here is one of the reasons why I don't think that Eva was the driving force behind this. I don't think it makes sense. Like Eva roughing up the neighbor doesn't make sense because the neighbor will know who did it. Eva killing the neighbor makes sense, but it doesn't seem to make sense that that is, you know, enough motive. That's, that doesn't seem to be enough of a reason to kill someone. You wouldn't think over a complaint. I think one way or another, someone was making money in that apartment and, and there was someone that had some sort of authority over Eva that, that was pushing this. And now again, you, you always have, there's always a potential for unknown variables and an unknown variable could be maybe Eva's just a, a crazy violent person. And we don't, don't, don't know that and that she has a, a, an insane temper and is very violent. And that could be the reason is just, but. We don't see that in any of her known pre-offense or known post-offense behavior. So I don't know. Well, I just wonder if maybe the accomplice, I mean, the accomplice is worked up, comes in hot, maybe under the influence, and it just gets away from that person. Right. You know, I mean, they they come in in their head that they're going to rough her up, but before they know it, they're stabbing her, you know, because they're just not under their own control, basically. Yeah. And there could be, too. You know, I said way back that I think there was something triggered this to happen that morning. That's that's something that could happen too. I didn't include that in my theory because we don't have any known factors to support that. But it, it could have been that it wasn't a plan, mm-hmm. that something happened. There was some interaction that triggered all this to happen. We just don't know. Uh, I think I mentioned this last season, but you just made me think of it. It's a big percentage of murders in the U.S. happen when somebody's under the influence of drugs or alcohol, like more than half of them. I would guess so, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't wish know. I knew the number exactly. Yeah, I don't know the number, but I would guess so. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know the number either, but I, I, I certainly wouldn't argue that. Yeah, it's just it's wild to think about. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I always imagine, and maybe it's like TV and movies. I imagine a killer being cold collected and sober. Very rare. Yeah. Well, you know, think about it. If we got into an argument, and sober us would probably argue and leave. Right. Whereas if we were intoxicated, whether drugs or alcohol, you're, you're going to you're probably going to get handsy you're gonna get you know you're gonna start swinging on each other you're gonna there's a lot of things that could happen that yeah. wouldn't happen normally there are also very few murders that happen without motive or a tv there's always like the killer that's just killing people for fun now obviously there's the ted bundy's and other serial killers that are just psychopaths that are killing for the sake of killing but 99.9 percent that's not an actual statistic but very the overwhelming majority of murders are due to do some some type of personal cause and definitely some type of motive, uh, you know, so, the, so it's, they're killing you because they're angry with you and they snap or something like that, or they're killing you because, you know, it, which was the, uh, the motive the, the state used, which is you know, we were in the process of trying to steal something and you were keeping us from stealing something, but it, that just doesn't, for all the factors we already know, we, I don't believe that that's what happened here. But on top of that, Catalina wasn't going to stop anyone, you know, if a couple grown men came into that apartment to steal her car, she was not going to stop them from stealing their car. So there were, there was no reason for that escalation. So that's why you know, come back to this was personal cause. Whoever went in there, all the crime scene evidence indicates a blitz attack. The killers went in there, immediately attacked her, and immediately killed her because that's why they went in there. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Mary says, nothing about this crime seems planned to me. Why would you plan to rough up your neighbor in broad daylight? I feel like there was something more personal between Eva and Catalina that took place besides the noise complaints. Again, I, can, I, I already covered this for the most part, but I really, the noise complaints are the only known risk factor we have, right? You have a personal cause homicide and one one risk factor, a single risk factor, and one single person attached to that risk factor. So I think it plays, but I don't necessarily think that it plays the way that we think it does. And that's and that's that's where these unknown factors come in, right? The stuff we were just talking about, that if there's another, you know, if there was money being made in there, if there's another person involved that is that was profiting from that apartment, anything like that, you know, the, the, I think it stems from the complaint, but I don't think it's as simple as, well, I don't want to move, so I'm going to kill my neighbor. Or I don't want to stop having my friends over, so I'm going to kill my neighbor. I don't think it's that simple. And as somebody said in a previous question, it 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 doesn't make sense in the fact that if you killed the neighbor so that you don't have to move, why'd you move two days later? I, I, I truly believe someone was profiting in some way whether it's sex work or drugs or something, something was, there was, there was profit being made from that apartment. And I think that the person who was driving this, that drove Eva into this, if, if my, if my theory were to be correct, then I think that it had to do with business, that they were, that they were pissed off about what she was doing to their business and they had no connection with them. They weren't like Eva who had gotten food from her and things like that. This person is just a violent person. And I really believe that it, that if Eva, if I'm right and Eva was involved, that she got, you know, she almost got, she kind of got stuck into the middle of it. With that being said, I also don't have any, whether, whether innocent or guilty, I have, I have no sympathy for Eva whatsoever. And I want to make that very clear uh, because even if Jennifer is actually guilty of what the state says she's guilty of. So even if Jennifer was the lookout and was there and was inside, Eva has still, and I think one of one of our listeners, Joe um, Joe Ra, I think was the name, but but made a good point in a post, or where he he was just kind of just just amazed at the consistency with Eva constantly lying on Jennifer to try to pile on and make it worse. So look at the stuff we have talked about. First, it's oh, I was running away and I saw Jennifer coming around the corner, but oh, by the way, Jennifer's a crack addict. That's where I think Eva's using. Jennifer as an alibi. So now she she knows that she told Jennifer to say that she saw her talking to the boys. She just throws a little bit in there at the end that, oh, by the way, I saw her. I think I saw her coming. But also she's a crack addict, meaning so if she gets a story wrong, it's because she's a drug addict. And then it turns into, oh, well, she saw me lie or she told me to lie and she definitely wasn't there. 
Meanwhile, so she's she's lying in two ways. One, further incriminate Jennifer. That's evolving. And at the same time, distancing herself even more, where now she changes how she got woke up and when she was at the door and all those things we talked about. Then after Jennifer gets arrested, then she tells the police, oh, you know what? You know that deep, raggedy voice I told you I heard? I thought about it, and that was Jennifer's voice. I'm pretty sure that was Jennifer's voice that I heard. So she evolves even more, changes her story even more to further incriminate Jennifer. Then she goes to the grand jury, and she tells them she had bruises and red marks all over her arms, and she was stuffing uh, stuffing a, a wallet into her or stuffing something into her pants while she was there. Further, you know, in, in, in this point, we know she's she's definitely lying. She's definitely changing her story, and, and consistently to further try to try to throw Jennifer under the proverbial bus or further incriminate Jennifer. But then it goes even further. If you recall in that Crime Watch Daily um, um, episode, when Eva talked to the producers, now she's telling the producer. I don't remember the details, but I know that I know one of the details was she's telling the producers of the people at Crime Watch Daily that Jennifer was covered in blood and came into the apartment. So, so this has continued on and on and on. Eva is consistently changing her story and lying to further incriminate Jennifer. So even if Jennifer is actually guilty of being a lookout, I still have no sympathy for Eva because she has, she has continually lied to make her problem worse. And my actual real analysis of this is that what she is, this is all, these are all indicators of someone with guilty knowledge of the crime, someone that knows they are more guilty than the police think they are. And so they are constantly trying, they're, 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 as I, I mentioned this in one episode, they see every angle. They see the angles we don't because they were there and they know where they were culpable. And that's why she just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. This, if she was truly uninvolved and was just a witness, she has no reason to change her story, period. She has no reason to further alibi herself. She was never a suspect. She was never treated as a suspect. But she definitely has no reason to continually lie in order to implicate someone else if she was only a witness. And there's no getting around that. There's absolutely no reason for her to push someone else into jail when she was never at risk of going to jail herself. Unless she knows in her own mind, has that guilty knowledge, and she knows that there really is a risk for her to go to jail because she was actually involved. Gretchen says in the beginning with Jim Clemente, and even you said there was a catalyst, something that morning that happened that triggered this event. What happened to that theory? Well, as I just mentioned, I still think that that's very possible. I just don't have any evidence to support it. All I have is an analysis of the crime scene. And all the factors that I just talked about, but it's just it's just speculation. And again, what I do so in order to make this theory, I've got to make everything fit, right? Nothing can conflict with it. So so if my theory is that Eva walks downstairs and and Catalina says something to her and it pisses her off and they fight, well then I have to well what do I do with the, with when Jennifer says she's coming clean? So that in that case, right? So Jennifer's innocent now, and Eva's the one who's guilty. Well, what do I do with, in that scenario, an innocent Jennifer saying that Eva told her she was going to rough up the neighbor because of the complaints, and then she saw Eva jump over the fence? There's a conflict there. So the, the theory has to keep getting adjusted until there isn't a conflict. Laura says, do you think Eva planned the attack for the morning? Why would she not have planned at night? Did she intend to blame it on Jen and waited for her to leave the apartment? I don't think she intended to blame it on Jen, and I don't think there was much of a plan. 
and I know I'm kind of repeating myself, but these, you know, these, these are all good questions with just slightly different angles that keep coming back to the same place. But I, it's just another indicator that there wasn't, there, there wasn't a solid plan. The, the, the way things happen and how quickly they happen. If you look at, look, so we just talked about Eva's evolution of throwing Jennifer under the bus, but look at the evolution of Eva changing her story, trying to exculpate herself. That, that shows you that this was not a thought out plan. There wasn't a plan of, okay, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this. And that's how I'm going to, I'm going to avoid looking guilty. It, things happen quick. Now it's possible there was a plan and it got thrown off by Katie and youngster being there. Uh, but it, it looks to me like, like, like whatever happened, happened fast. It wasn't Eva's plan to do it, that it was likely. You know, the, the air quotes, Frank, I think that's driving the narrative. And so, and so, and then Eva just gets left holding the bag, or in this case, literally gets hold, holding, holding the wallet and the keys and, and the guy takes off and there she is. She was just in there being part of a murder. She's holding evidence and she's, and she's, and it happened right below her. She's got to do something. And so she's quickly makes a plan and then, and then slowly evolves the plan. You know, so the plan is, okay, I'm going to go out and they're going to hear me. I'm going to hear her scream and I'm going to run for help. And then she thinks about, she's again, you think when someone is as actual guilty knowledge, they're thinking of the angles that the police and everybody else isn't thinking of because the, the police don't know she was involved. She knows she was. Christina says, how does June Sage's story fit in with the theory? I think you mentioned that you didn't believe what June saw was actually related to the crime. What do you think it was that she saw? I don't know. That's why I had to. That was another thing that was really hanging me up in developing the theory was I, I don't know what June saw. There's too many unknowns in her statement. So you have, you have a statement that in one way seems to describe the Jen and Red Rock interaction, right? But then there's parts of the statement that don't fit that interaction that seem like she's describing a different event. You know, I had one version of the, uh, of the theory I was working on that where where Frank had a group of guys with him because uh, June said she saw a group of black men come into the scene. But then, but then it's like it doesn't make sense for really the killer to be knocking on – definitely not to be knocking on June's door unless some, some people had theorized that maybe that they were knocking on June's door to see if they were home, to see if the coast was clear. I don't know. So you have in one version, it could be Red Rock and Housen. In one work, it could be a completely different group of guys. It could be Jennifer. It could be Eva. She never said Jennifer. She said it was one of the girls from upstairs. Since Jennifer's only there for a couple of days, you, you might think that leans more towards Eva. Uh, but then you have the, the, the whole thing that we pointed out with the descriptions with Swainson, where it seems very obvious that Swainson was manipulating and, and changing these witness statements and that we have proof in that in Zaragoza Garza's testimony. So then, so then it turns into, we don't really know what she said at all. And then you look at it and compare it to what Janine Smith said. She didn't, she didn't talk about any of this with Janine Smith. And so essentially I just had to leave it out. And if we had more information, then you can make adjustments. There, there's, there's, as I said, there's a lot of wiggle room in this theory for things to move. I can give you four different scenarios that fit just about anything that that June said that doesn't conflict with anything else. But I, I ultimately decided that I just I don't think we can rely on it. We don't have any verification that she said anything about this. And we don't know what exactly she said. And what she did say could go either way. And even the officer Cobb, before Swainson interviewed her, said that she was confused. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head right there. And, I, and short version is we don't have her actual words. 
And I think that's the biggest point of that. Why didn't I just say that, Zach, instead of all those words I just said? I know. <laughs> You're a talker, man. It's all right. <laughs> Debus says, I think it was really plausible, actually, referring to your theory. It made a lot of sense and felt sad that Jennifer could be in prison because just for all this time, she could be too scared to tell her family the truth. Is there any scope for further investigation into police procedures and looking into how Eva was handled by the detectives, especially in regards to knowledge about the wallet? I know you referred to more evidence of, quote, dubious policing. Could there be grounds for Brady anywhere? I mean, there, it, there's obviously a potential, but that's going to at this point, that would have to be the um, Jennifer's attorney and his investigators uh, are going to need to work on that. I'm 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 not in a position at this point to, to be getting in their way. I've turned over what we have. I think the best the best uh, potential for Brady would come in with the the neighbor, Eva's neighbor, if that person was talked to and depending on what they said. It, other than that, it could be. You know, if we could get a hold of any of these other people who gave statements, you know, unfortunately, you know, June Sage is deceased. But if so, if you could get a hold of some of these people that gave statements, they were summarized and then they didn't testify. And if they were to say, no, that's not what I said, you know, that could that could make a difference. But those are all angles that, you know, I'm I, those I'm not contacting people like that at this, especially at this stage in the game, because that's something that the attorneys need to do and get affidavits from and things like that. If those those things exist. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office. Wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines. No traffic. No waiting. Schedule package pickups. Automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program. Martin says, the key analysis made me laugh. It's so far off. I don't know what to say. Martin, I, um, I, I don't think it's laughable at all. I, I would, did he expand on that at all? No. That's all I said was laughable. I don't think, I don't see why it's laughable. It's so what, you know, my only analysis of the keys is that the key could have the key the, the keys could have very well been still behind the fridge in the coils. I don't I don't see why that's laughable. Uh, if you ever look at one of those old fridge in those coils, they're usually completely caked with years and years of dust bunnies and and dirt and cobwebs, and you can't really see through them. Keep in mind, you know, in in Urbano uh, Madrano was not looking for anything. He pulled the 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 fridge out and saw the wallet sitting there. It, so the, and he doesn't say, then I further inspected the coils to see if 
there were keys in there also, or if there was anything else in there, I think there's, it's very likely, I, I think it's far more likely that the keys were stuck back there in the coils and he didn't see them, uh, than it is that one person took the keys and a different person took the wallet. Even if the state's theory was true and they were going to steal the car, why they're like, here, here's a wallet for your trouble. They're, these don't seem like the kind of guys that would be doing that. I really wish Martin would have explained why he thought it was. I think that's a big thing. I think if yeah. questions come through like this, they should be explained why they think that. I mean, that if you're really going to put it out there that's laughable, tell me why it's laughable. Yeah. Like, I want to know. Like, maybe it is laughable. Maybe Martin's got a point, but I don't know why it's laughable now. Right. Do you, do you think it's laughable? I don't really think it's laughable, but if Martin had a point, I don't know what the point is. Right. I'm just curious if I was the only one that thought it was plausible. No, I think it's a very plausible explanation. We, we don't know where the keys are. That is one possible place the keys could have been, and it fits with where they found the wallet. Right. And the, the fact that I hadn't really considered before was once the police – so Urbano finds the wallet, puts it on the counter. Keith comes in, finds the wallet on the counter, doesn't know where it was found, so definitely didn't look behind the fridge. Then he calls uh, Cobb. Cobb comes and gets it, gets it from Truesdale, who himself didn't know where it was found in the, in the apartment. And, uh, and, uh, so Cobb certainly didn't know Cobb actually, Cobb actually wrote his report months later when he finally wrote one and said that he found it behind the couch. And then Alan gets it. And when Alan gets it, it, he has Cobb's report that says he found it behind the couch. And then Cobb, and then, and then Alan finally now we're, we're now six months later, gets a hold of Madrano and he says, Oh, I found it behind the fridge. And nobody ever went, well, let's go look at the apartment and see if there's anything else back there. And that, that was, to me, like, why would, that would be the, the murder, fuck, the murder weapon could have been there. I mean, think about that. Like, you find, you find out you have three things that are missing from a murder scene. A wallet, a key ring, and a knife. And the wallet is found in the ups, behind the upstairs neighbor's refrigerator. It doesn't occur to you that maybe we should see if anything else was behind the refrigerator? And the thing about like the knife, literally, let's say the murder weapon, the actual knife was put back there. It could have fallen down the coils and been sitting on the floor. Now, for those of you that don't know, blood after a day or two doesn't look like blood anymore. It turns black. And then if you ever, if you've ever seen a, if any of you are maybe hunters or anything, have you ever seen what blood looks like on a knife after a week, it starts to rust. And it looks like there's something black and rusty on the knife. Now I would challenge any of you to pull out of the fridge out of your house and see what you find back there. There's any number of things behind. There's probably my kid's school pictures behind there and silverware that's fallen behind the fridge. So if a painter were to pull a refrigerator out to paint behind it and there was a knife on the floor, an apartment where a bunch of shit was left behind already, but they pull it out and there's a knife on the floor. Do you think that they're going to think this knife may have been used in a murder? No, they're going to throw it away or push the fridge right back because that's not their job because it's not uncommon to find a piece of silverware behind a fridge. I mean, that, 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 that really occurred to me after I recorded the episode, but that, that infuriated me even more is for Christ's sake, the murder weapon could have been behind that fridge and no one ever went back to look. So I don't think it's laughable at all, Martin. You may disagree with me, but to say it's laughable, I think is just, I think is just bullshit personally. Uh, and, and if you want to explain for next week's follow-up why it's so laughable, I'm happy to hear you out. But I think it's very plausible. And I also think it's plausible that the murder weapon was back there the whole time as well. 
so I 100% get what you're saying with the knife being back there. I don't necessarily think it was back there. I can see the keys being back there because I can see those being hidden in the coils or uh-huh. falling and not realizing it and someone picking them up. The knife, I could, I mean, the knife could have been back there, but I think at the point that they would have called him later to actually ask where the wallet was found, mm-hmm. I think there's there would have been some explanation of why they were asking him and maybe there would have been other items found at that point. Maybe. But also keep in mind, he didn't speak English, and the the phone call was translated through his daughter. Okay, so he wasn't even on the phone. So there's a there's a language barrier. They're asking where he found it, and so he's literally talking to his daughter on the phone, who's relaying to him. I don't know how in depth or detailed that conversation went, and how many refrigerators has this guy in six months pulled out and painted behind? Do you think he would remember if there was a knife on the floor? Well, possibly. If it's a situation where he's already pulled an item out that is unusual, maybe he would remember other items in that situation. I don't know. That's my thought. It could be. I think that it's also very possible that he wouldn't recall seeing a knife on the ground. All right. You know what I mean? I find it more plausible that the knife left with the killer than is behind that. Very possibly. I think the keys are behind the fridge, but I think the knife left with the killer. Very possible. And, 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 And to your point, either of these scenarios are very possible. But I just think I, the fact that the police didn't go look behind the fridge, I think I think it sucks. I think because we because we wouldn't be having this conversation had they done it because we'd know. Kristen says at any point in the season, did you consider that Jennifer was actually guilty of the crime which she was tried for and convicted of? In parentheses, she puts being the lookout. Yeah, the, there's there's definitely waves. I mean, that was the first thing when I started looking at the case. The first thing I always do is try to investigate the potential that the state got it right. That's how we're selecting the cases. I I get hundreds of cases submitted to us all the time that are all claiming to be innocent. And and 99% of them, I determined that they're probably actually guilty. And so that was the first thing I did. And then there's certainly, as we're going through the the season and we're finding different things um, out along the way, it starts to look like you know there there were definitely times where I thought well maybe she did but then what happens is like I said is the scientific method I may find some evidence or an indication that she may have actually done this and so then I you create that hypothesis okay so because of this I think she might have actually done it and then I go back to the other ev- evidence to the that we have to back test it and every time that theory falls apart or that hypothesis never even been a theory so yeah I have considered it over and over and over and over and over again but the problem is there's no scenario where it works. The state scenario doesn't work. There's conflicts all over the state scenario. There's conflicts all over every scenario Eva's given. There's conflicts over every scenario everyone's given. Even Jennifer's own confession doesn't work. There's conflicts all through it. And that's why it's never been a theory, but it has certainly been a consideration and a hypothesis. I think my biggest thing with that is, and I, I'll say it for the last time this season, is even if Jennifer is the lookout, no justice was served for Catalina, period. That's the biggest part, problem with this, 100%, is uh, Catalina didn't get justice, one. Another thing that I'll say is, even if Jennifer, in my opinion, if Jennifer is guilty of exactly what the state says she's guilty of, well, I think in the closing arguments, they made a, uh, a speculation that maybe she hit her once with the pot or something like that, even though there's the DNA evidence clearly says shows that that's not true. But if she truly was the lookout for a robbery and it resulted in a murder, 
Would she deserve jail time? Yes. Does she deserve life in prison? Absolutely not. I think that this is a 15-year-old girl who should have been in the juvenile court and was forced up into the adult court to begin with, who was, you know, by, by the state's theory, was manipulated. Uh, oh, let's not say manipulated, but she was, by their theory, she was convinced to be a lookout in a robbery by two grown men. And then the two grown men killed the woman. Yeah, is she does, is she culpable in that scenario? 100%. Should she serve some time in jail? 100%. 25 years? No. In my opinion, absolutely not. If she was guilty of that, I think it should have stayed in the juvenile court. She should have done some time. She should have got some counseling and some therapy and then been put on probation. Uh, the fact that they went after her for capital murder for this and put her in prison for the rest of her life, even if she's guilty, is is outrageous in my opinion. And it even more outrageous is the fact that they never gave two shits about who actually killed Catalina, even if their theory is right. Our last question is from Kristen. If at a later time Jennifer's attorney allowed her to talk to you, would you reopen your investigation and continue this season? That would depend. 100% if they – and we will be – still, I'm still working on some elements of this case. So just like any case, if there's, if there's updates, then I will do episodes on the, on the case to keep everybody updated as we move along. If, if her attorney decided, yeah, I'm going to let her do an interview – and I, then, yeah, certainly, I would do the interview. I would, I would air the interview. I would continue any investigation. So it all, it would all depend on what came of that. But yeah, I, I can't say 100. percent We're going to start the season over if we get an interview because I don't know where we'll be able to go and where we'll be with our next case, which that leads us into what's going to happen next. Uh, which is we are, we are about to start season 11. As I mentioned, there's going to be some filler episodes. So I've had meetings with the. Uh, um, with the legal team of the subject of season 11 and they have sent over a lot of documents. I'm working on getting some more documents. I, and, and just so you know, kind of production wise prior to us starting and launching the season, I need to figure out who I can interview, get interviews recorded. I need to, uh, the, the individual that's in prison. I'm hoping to speak with and interview that person. There's some logistical things that are going to take a few weeks. So in the meantime, we're going to have bonus episodes for the next couple of weeks. I'm hoping that's going to be three weeks, possibly four, but definitely not any longer than that. And so the first one you're going to hear from, and they're just going to be, you know, things that I think that are, are interesting that have to do with the, uh, the work that we do and that I think would be useful for anybody to hear. So th- this week, we're going to hear from an, act- an actual working public defender uh, who happened to have, uh, he actually binged through. Uh, season 10 and from the time we, we, we arranged to do an interview, he wanted to listen and see what was going on. So he has some, some thoughts on this particular case, uh, and also just thoughts on the legal system in general and, and where the problems are and where he sees things that we can, that we can maybe improve on. And then also w- the, the thing that really drew me to want to talk to him is give us a lot of perspective on what it is actually like to be a public defender. They get such a bad rep all the time. When people see in one of these cases, oh, my God, they had a public defender as though they're bad attorneys. Absolutely not the case. Really cool interview. That'll be this week. Next week, I've got someone uh, that, that developed some soft, some crowd-solving software. Uh, super interesting guy. Uh, that'll be next week. I'm not sure what's going to be after that. So we're, you know, we're, we're hastily working behind the scenes right now to get Season 11 up and running. And we'll make sure that you have some interesting content every week. And with that, for the last time, I want to thank everyone 
for sticking with us throughout season 10. I, I know that this has been, uh, it's been a rough ride for you and for me. I think it's been very interesting. I think we made good progress in the case. Uh, I still hope that we can, we can uncover new information at some point that'll bring some justice for Catalina and hopefully if Jennifer's innocent to, to bring her home. But I do want to thank all of you for, for sticking this out and staying engaged. I love you all. I appreciate you all. And let's keep on moving onward and upward. See you next week. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show is created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kay Wood Yomnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, Truth and Justice Pod. Just click the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G, and Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. That's it. That's the whole thing. Good job. Good job, man. It's a baby, it's a baby cat caboodle. A kitten caboodle? The kitten caboodle. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. 
now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all-new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro. Driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost.